Welcome to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you progressive voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. I'm Ed Fallon, folks. I'm your host, and we are coming to you from the heart of America's heartland. Yeah, that would be Des Moines, Iowa. You know, it is kind of amazing as I think about it that we've been doing this program continuously for 12 years. And, you know, I want people to know that if they value this work, they might want to help out in some way. Listen, I'll tell you more. You know, first of all, when I say us, we've been doing this program. It's not just me, folks. Yeah, I'm, of course, I'm your delightful host, charming, re relentlessly blogging every week, uh, whether I have something to say or not. Um, but it's not just me. It's my partner, Kathy Burns. She leads the weekly uh, segment on food and urban farming. And Kathy also works with uh, Sherry Herdina, that's my longtime co-worker, as the production coordinators. There's a lot of work to that. And... Um, yeah, so when it comes to troubleshooting technical stuff, I'm about as smart about that as our cat is. So we've got Forrest, um, no stranger to high fashion, Detterman. He is uh, bravely uh, forays into the world of technical matters. And believe me, there's uh, quite a few in this business. Of course, there's also, if you listen to this program regularly, you will know that Dr. Charles Goldman uh, co-hosts this program probably uh, twice a month with me. And um, in fact, he began co-hosting with me back in 2009. We go back that far. Anyway, that's our team, folks. Oh, yeah, wait. Also, our guests. Literally, over the past 12 years, we've had hundreds, if not thousands, well, no, hundreds, maybe close to a thousand guests. We've had incredible numbers of guests. You're part of the team as well. And of course, those of you who listen to this program, who read the blogs, who believe that there's more to talk radio than just the crazy folks on the right, you're also part of this program and your involvement is greatly appreciated. And just a word on that, folks. We're going to talk about this more today and later in our program with one of my Trump-supporting friends, believe it or not, the public airwaves. You know, be, thanks to, well, Ronald Reagan back in the 80s because of the Fairness Doctrine being abolished, and then, yeah, Bill Clinton, bipartisan effort, in 1996, Bill Clinton signed over the airwaves to the biggest corporate backers with the 1996 Telecommunications Act. It was the perfect confluence of big government and big media. Um, <laughs> oh, horrible. And look at what you get. You get nothing but far right-wing talk on all the big commercial stations. You know, when, when you, you've got community-owned stations that do great work and struggle to make ends meet on smaller signals, less powerful signals, uh, with with much bigger, I, I want to say, much, much tighter restrictions imposed by the FCC. And so, you know, you've got, you know, the airwaves are not what they used to be. They used to be our public airwaves. Now they're kind of mostly private airwaves. And, um, you know, what, yeah, yeah, you think about, I think about Donald Trump trying to sell off the uh, public parks. Well, you know what, the sell-off of the public airwaves is perhaps even a bigger tragedy. I really don't want to compare those because, they both are horrible, although, again, we have not seen the massive sell-off of our public parks, and maybe that won't happen under some new leadership. Anyway, so, you know, you are part of this program as well, and it'd be great if you, if you don't already subscribe to the Fallon Forum podcast on Apple, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever you use. Do that, please. And also, you can also follow or like. I'm putting like in quotes here. You see the quotes? Like quotes. Uh, you can like us on Facebook, and you can also sign up for my weekly blog on the Fallon Forum website. And I promise we will never inundate you, we'll never share or sell your list, your name rather, or our list to anybody. So, yeah, it's my, uh, my, my, my request to you is if you really, really want to make Sean Hannity quiver in his pricey swivel chair, by the way, I don't own a pricey swivel chair, mine has duct tape on it, if you really want to make Sean Hannity sweat a bit, you know, support this program, support other community-owned stations that are trying to do things that matter and try to provide some balance to the perspective of, of, of opinions and news that broadcast on the airwaves. So do that, folks. And uh, in the meantime, I want to take a second to thank uh, our local business partners, including our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally-owned grocery and specialty food store. Uh, Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. And you can order groceries online, and Gateway also offers catering and floral services. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. All right, as promised, later in the program, 
we're going to be talking about trying to understand the mainstream media's bias. Joel Brown will be joining me for that. Joel will, will be also joining us for a conversation about whether the Democratic and Republican parties have flipped. Now, Joel comes at, at this as a former Democratic lawmaker who is now an independent, you know, registered independent, but voted for Trump. It'll be an interesting conversation. Kathy Burns will also join us for a conversation about uh, June Garden Q&A. What's going on in the garden this time of the year? And what do we do about it? We'll also be talking about something that I know nothing about, Kratom. We're going to be talking with an expert alchemist about Kratom later in this program. First, though, I want to talk a little bit about the Arizona election audit. Dang, is this thing off the rails or what? Have you been following what's going on in Arizona? Okay, so it's the audit of the 2020 election. Uh, you know, honestly, it, it could be a parody, some kind of a joke, uh, like, a, like, a, like a satire. Uh, but unfortunately, it's the real thing. I mean, the Arizona legislature, controlled narrowly, I would say, by Republicans, authorized this audit. And they, they, their mission is to, is to count over 2 million votes they were cast in Maricopa County, that's also known as Phoenix, largely, uh, also known as an area of Arizona that's more Democratic than most of the state. So the purpose of this audit, well, it's, it's hard to know exactly what this purpose is because it's not going to overturn the, the results of the presidential election or the U.S. Senate votes. Remember, the, US, the Arizona sent a Democrat to the U.S. Senate. It's not going to overturn those votes. Uh, it's supposed to supposedly root out corruption in the last election, which, again, all indications are there was no corruption. But that uh, myth continues to be perpetrated, perpetuated, perpetrated. I think I can use both those words in that case. So, um, you know, they, they, again, they want to prove Donald Trump right. They want to show all the wrongs done in 2020, and they want to inspire other states to do their own audit. You know, I have, I, I have, I have, I have a suspicion that there's two things really going on here. First of all, the uh, Senate Republicans in Arizona want to give the Republicans, not just in Arizona, but elsewhere, something to rally around. Here's a concrete thing being done to challenge the corrupt election. Secondly, and I, th I think this is more specific to Arizona, they want to raise money, and they're doing a great job at it. <laughs> you know, it, it'll be really hard to know exactly how all that money gets spent because we don't exactly know where it's all coming from. And it'll also be really hard not to imagine that somebody with ties to this, you know, this little, this little oligarchy in the state Senate in Arizona, somebody's not going to make out with some funds from that to their benefit, either personal benefit or campaign benefit. So, all right, so um, <clears throat> Maricopa County was required by the Senate legislation to take all its election equipment and all the ballots that were cast in that county to um, a central location, Veterans Memorial Coliseum, on April 20, uh, 22nd, ironically on Earth Day. Now, the most um, labor-intensive part of the audit was the uh, hand recount of ballots. And uh, to a couple days after, about April 24th or so, they expected that that would take about, oh, 20 days. Okay, here we are, uh, mid-June, now they're saying, well, because of the rather difficult uh, pace of accomplishing this, it might be July or August. So by July or August, you should read August or September. Remember, this is a group that promised 20 days. <laughs> That's like early to mid-May. And it's already June. Now they're saying July or August. So the, um, the Senate Republicans in Arizona hired a Florida-based company called Cyber Ninjas. I do love that name. Um, <laughs> that's supposed to be the lead auditor overseeing a team of subcontractors, all, all of them subcontractors and the main company being paid, of course. Uh, the owner of Cyber Ninjas is Doug Logan, who has prominently promoted these um, lies that were you know, spewed by Donald Trump that the election was stolen. <laughs> so how do, you, how, do you how do you possibly conduct an audit in any kind of responsible objective way if you've already got this opinion. I mean, it's incredible to me, but again, not surprising. In the 21st century, are we still in the 21st century? We sure are. You know, it's, it's not surprising to me that this kind of conflict of interest just is taken for granted, not a big deal. So, um, and more, and, and even more, <laughs> just as bad, well, maybe not quite as bad, but in my opinion, maybe just as bad, neither Logan, Doug Logan, nor his company, 
nor the subcontractors have any experience in conducting an election audit. Okay, so I guess experience doesn't matter. So um, the cyber ninjas carefully asked, they, you know, they, they asked the judge, they said, we, we got to keep, keep our work methods a secret. They're, they're trade secrets. Okay, so basically we're supposed to not know how they're conducting this audit, right? So the judge um, rejected that request. So, you know, I tell you, if there's any integrity left in the federal government at all right now, it's probably in the judiciary. And that's hard to say, given what's been happening with the judiciary under the Trump presidency. So um, the court also, this is good, the court also released a security plan saying that, uh, it released a security plan that the audit team, Cyber Ninjas again, wanted to keep private. They wanted to hide their security plan from the public. This is, you can't make this stuff up. This could be, this could be a, a, a fictional novel, except that it's true. So, and that plan, okay, so the public got to see this security plan. And what does it reveal? It reveals that the audit team's outside expert was expecting a military-style attack on the location of where the audit was being conducted by, quote, Antifa or a militia group. Come on, really? <laughs> That's just, that is such crazy talk. Okay, so um, now the other part again is that, you know, the, I guess the Senate, the uh, state Senate put up, what, 150000 I believe, uh, to help fund the audit. But that's only a drop in the bucket because we got lots of expenses here. The, the auditorium, the Veterans Memorial Coliseum, costs 1000 bucks a day. Boy, I, I want to own that building. 1000 bucks a day. And, of course, they were going to do it in 20 days, and now it's July, August, who knows. Every day, 1000 bucks. Obviously, it's not going to be paid for just by the Senate's appropriations. So where are they going to get the money from? Well, oh, and the other costs, too. They've got security. Um, they've got... Um, off-duty law enforcement, oh, oh and, <laughs> and volunteers from the Arizona Rangers. So, you know, it's, it's not a baseball team, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so it's like um, the Rangers um, have been paid a lot of money, apparently. Uh, to date, their GoFundMe page has raised about 175000 So, again, who, who's contributing? Well, you know, you can, you can contribute to a GoFundMe page anonymously, and that's happening. Um, now, the Senate, uh, the Senate uh, co quote, contribution of 150000 that is um, minuscule compared to two unprecedented funding sources that have, you know, no connection to the state legislature. Both of those organizations are led by people who promote the falsehood that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. You know, this is just incredible. Uh, and, of course, um, <laughs> one of the people who are helping to raise money for the audit is Christina Bob. I love it when somebody has two first names for first and last name. But Christina Bob is um, with uh, One America News Network. That's the that's the that's the that's the media outlet that makes Fox look like crazy liberal. And she's in Phoenix. She's broadcasting reports constantly. And she and two colleagues are also helping to raise money for the audit. So <laughs> it is just a phenomenal what's going on. It is absolutely phenomenal. Now, it's actually, I think it's, uh, I think it's backfiring in terms of trying to unite the Republican Party because here's Mike Broomhead. He's an Arizona talk show host, and he says, I'm a Republican, two-time Donald Trump supporter, uh, and a resident of Maricopa County, and I, he, he, did not, he did not believe the 2020 election was stolen. But, and he says that, you know, from the start of the actual audit process, there were many things happening that should have concerned everyone who was concerned about restoring confidence in our system and making sure there are no tampering, no, was no tampering, manipulation, or fraud. He calls out um, the, uh, the effort to use ultraviolet lights to track down Trump watermarks and traces of bamboo that allegedly would have connected the ballots as having come from Asia. It means that this is crazy conspiracy stuff. Okay, this is even worse. He points out that the Secretary of State's office found that there was a wireless router on the premises of the audit. And this is after the Senate Republicans and others said, we're concerned that these ballots were somehow connected to, the, the machines that operate these ballots were connected to the Internet. What do they do? They have a, they have a wireless you know, um, machine on the premises? They say it wasn't hooked up to the uh, to, to anything that could have possibly been scanning or collecting that data, but 
There was no credibility here. And this is, again, a right-wing Republican calling them out on it. You know, the other thing about this, there's a QAnon angle to this. You know, again, Q is probably the reason that those ultraviolet lights were used because they're the ones who put the conspiracy theory out there about watermarks and Asian ballots. Um, and, uh, and some of the funding comes from sources with Q connections. So, yeah, this, this bears watching. Uh, we'll see what happens. The idea, of course, is that Arizona is kind of going to come through, going to prove this, uh, this election was, was fraudulent and other states are going to pick it up and run with it. And guess what? Donald Trump will be back in office in August. Don't hold your breath on that, folks. But do hold your breath for a second. We're going to take a short break. Ed Fallon with you here. We'll be back in a minute for more on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham has been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super-insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins. Yup, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much is possible. View images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon here with you folks. Uh, we're again broadcasting from America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. Thanks again to our local business partners and our nonprofit partners, including Bold Iowa, building rural urban coalitions to address climate change and prevent the abuse of eminent domain to build pipelines. That's boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. Get more information about classes and workshops at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. I'd like to welcome uh, Argos Maranoctis to the program. Argos, good to see you. Good to see you, Ed. Happy so, New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah. <laughs> Which New Year is just beginning? <laughs> I said happy to be here. Oh, no. I said happy New Year. Ah, uh, happy to be here. That works just as well. Maybe better. Most definitely. Hey, so um, I'm just, you know, I've been seeing these signs around town. Kratom sold here. Kratom sold there. And I have no idea what Kratom is, but you're, you're about to educate me and our audience about Kratom. Correct. So um, Kratom is a very interesting uh, product. So originally, um, it does come from Indonesia, all over Indonesia. And uh, the natives of Indonesia have been using it for centuries. Um, basically, it is an all-natural pain relief, much like, you know, uh, white willow bark in the Americas is used and was created into aspirin. Huh. Uh, Kratom is on is the that, same Is that where aspirin comes from, is white willow bark? White willow bark, How yep. about that? Okay. So, um, yeah, it's a natural pain relief, and it's uh, been booming for about the last uh, five years here in the States. Uh, Kratom is um, it's doing a lot of good for a lot of people. Basically, like I said, it's a really natural, um, intense pain relief, um, and you see it everywhere right now. So it's, uh, it's pretty intense. So wh why the sudden um, surge in popularity? Um, I, realistically, um, from what I've heard and the information I've gathered, um, it started... Um, it acts, Kratom can act like, kind of like an opiate without actually uh, activating the opiate receptors in your brain. So basically, you're getting something that is as powerful enough to relieve your pain, but it does not cause addiction. Okay. So I'm looking at something from the National Institutes of Health, their, their website. It says that uh, Kratom can cause effects similar to both opioids and stimulants. Uh, when Kratom is taken in small amounts, Users report increased energy, sociability, and alertness instead of sedation. However, Kratom can also cause uncomfortable and sometimes dangerous side effects. Is that, is that, uh, that that's positive and negative? Is that all true or is there some? You know, positive and negative. And from what I know, um, you know, having my store and uh, I also offer Kratom there is um, people constantly come back because they experience 
excellent side effects. Um, a lot of my customers are uh, actual, you know, ex-heroin addicts hmm. that have found that Kratom works better for them than uh, getting, you know, highly expensive and dangerous over-the-counter drugs. Right. Um, and they have switched over to Kratom. And it's actually been really life-changing. I have actually had not a single person have a negative effect. So it's kind of similar, if I may, and tell me if I'm wrong, to the, 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 the surge in popularity of medicinal marijuana to treat certain chronic illnesses that don't respond very well to traditional, when I say traditional, conventional pharmaceuticals. Um, and the, those pharmaceuticals often cause tremendous side effects, but marijuana has had the, had the effect of uh, relieving the pain without the side effects. Would Kratom be similar, do you think? Absolutely. I say it's definitely on the same line. I, I've noticed you know, the public has become very hungry for everything that is natural. And finally, these natural things are actually out there and available for people to get freely. And that's a big part of what you do at your store, Groovy Goods, which is a great name, by the way. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you, you have a, a tremendous selection of herbs and herbs uh, available. Um, and I, one thing that I wonder about is uh, usually if something uh, popular and relatively inexpensive comes along, the challenge is a big corporation, that big corporation will push back. Absolutely. And so I'm guessing Big Pharma is not real happy with the rise of Kratom. No, not at all. In fact, uh, the FDA has attacked Kratom several times in the last five years for that reason. Obviously, they don't give reasons, but, you know, we all can pretty much come up with that idea ourselves because, you know, Big Pharma wants to create customers, not actually fix the damage. Wait, August, you're not implying that the FDA and Big Pharma are somehow associated, are you? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> well, and I would say I think I think the FDA probably does play an important role, but there's no doubt that there's a revolving door there sometimes. Mm, definitely. And so is the FDA pushing back against Kratom? Um, not currently. They did a few months ago, and then once again uh, it was let go because enough people spoke out. And what, what did that pushback look like? Um, the pushback was a lot of emails, a lot of people reaching out to their representatives saying, you know, leave my Kratom alone. It's okay. helped change my life. That would be a song, leave my Kratom alone. <laughs> I can hear that coming. So, but what, what was the FDA trying to do? Uh, the FDA was actually trying to uh, make it a Schedule One substance, making it illegal just like heroin or cocaine. Really? Yes. And uh, that, that's pretty severe. It is. And um, why did they, they backed off strictly, do you think, because of the public pressure? Um, I think so. Hmm. Interesting. And who do you think, uh, who in Big Pharma is behind that push to, to put it on the uh, Schedule One list? Honestly, I don't know names or details. I just know that when it comes to Kratom being attacked, we just jump on there and notify our representatives immediately. Huh. Okay. So likely to, I'm, likely, I'm guessing that's not the uh, last chapter of that conversation. They'll be back and trying to, uh, trying to, you know, trying, trying to make it illegal, which is interesting again to me as, as we're moving away from criminalization of marijuana. And I say this, full disclosure, I am not a marijuana user. Um, I, like Bill Clinton, I, I did uh, try it a few times in college. Unlike Bill Clinton, I did inhale, but I coughed my head off and it never had any effect on me other than this making me cough. But um, we, have, we see this movement to decriminalize marijuana, to give it some, I mean, respect in terms of its medicinal value, and even saying, well, if people want to use it recreationally, that's okay as well. But, but now we have this possible direction in the, the, uh, the opposite direction with Kratom. Yeah. Yeah, how how do they justify that? <laughs> it's like a very, very much a double standard, it sounds like. It is very much a double standard, but it looks like that's what we would experience across the board most times anyway when dealing with them. So is this something that is going to be attacked at the federal level, or is there, are there state initi initiatives that might... Um, um, it's both, because there are several states in the United States that have banned Kratom and have made it a Schedule One substance. Which ones? Um, the whole list off the top of my head, I believe Alabama is one, Arkansas, New Hampshire, and there's several others that don't come to mind just yet. Huh. Okay. And so, and that's, uh, they, they, they're allowed to do that. There's no federal legislation, federal regulation preventing them from doing that. But I imagine that maybe there might be a lawsuit coming out of one of those states. I would imagine. If there's right. not, if there's soon to be, I would sure. Yeah. Okay, so again, Kratom, a plant from Indonesia that uh, found its way to the U.S. and has now become popular as an alternative to pharmaceutical drugs to address um, a variety of, uh, of modern problems. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, anybody that's interested in more information uh, revolving that, uh, feel free to look up the American Kratom Association online. 
really uh, informative website. And of course, you know, Groovy Goods, we're all trained in Kratom and are absolutely open to discussing the, the benefits. The American Kratom Institute Association. Association. Yep. And Kratom is spelled K-R-A-T-O-M. Yes. And again, who are the folks behind the American Kratom Association? Uh, it's a conglomeration of people across the United States all striving to make sure that it is available for all. Okay. Just make sure they, I hope they make sure that their board of directors isn't infiltrated by Big Pharma. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> that can happen. It can. That can happen. All right. Well, hey, um, August, it's been great having you on the program. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us again. Absolutely. If you want to learn more about Kratom, you can check out the American Kratom Association's website. If you're in Des Moines, you can also stop by Groovy Goods. It's a store at the corner of 23rd and University. Full disclosure, Groovy, Groovy Goods also is uh, one of the part, the local business partners for this program, and it is appreciated. But, uh, again, you can learn more about that there, and, uh, and uh, you can learn more about Mint as well. <laughs> anyway, thanks for joining us, Argos. Thank you, sir. When we come back, folks, Joel Brown's going to be my guest. Joel is a former Democratic lawmaker who... Um, it's now a Trump supporter, and no, we're not going to come to blows. It'll be a civil conversation. Uh, Joel feels strongly that he has a case to make that the Democratic Party and Republican Party have flipped. The party that used to be that of the working people is now that of the elite, and the Republican Party is the one representing the working people. We'll talk about that in a spirited manner when we come back on the Fallon Forum. Groovy Goods is your Des Moines one-stop hippie shop. Located near Drake University, we are more than just a store. Groovy Goods is about community. We're a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. You will be greeted by friendly staff, the smell of incense, the vibration of healing stones and crystals, the vibrant colors of clothing and tapestries, and an extensive herbal apothecary and metaphysical products. At Groovy Goods, everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Check us out online, groovy-goods.com, or stop in at the corner of 23rd and University in Des Moines. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Back to the Fallon Forum. Again, Ed Fallon with you here, folks. Hey, we could not do this program without our local business partners, including Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page or by giving Dr. Holding a call at 515-232-8766. Thanks also to Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village, Dr. Joel Westrom's, uh, him and his staff uh, are fluent in both English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. I would like to welcome to the program Joel Brown. Joel is a former Democratic state legislator who has gone over to the dark side. <laughs> Joel, and by, let me just be totally candid, Joel is a friend and a neighbor, and we never actually served together because the year that I won, he got beat. That's right. So we never yeah. had the pleasure of tangling at the, at the state capitol. But um, your premise is that the Republican Party has kind of, the Democratic Party has kind of left the void. It, it abandoned the middle class, the working folks, became kind of the part of the party of the elite and now we have we have the Republican Party kind of filling in that void that's your premise correct I I would say yes I mean I I, I might not put it quite that strongly I think there because I think there are certainly Democrats that are traditional Democrats I mean we talked about Tulsi Gabbard who I would say is you know if, if you know it, she's what I think of when I think of Democrat but she's not by any means the mainstream anymore so it's it's interesting too that uh that she is the candidate in terms of candidates for the 2020 democratic presidential nomination 
she's hands down the one that most Trump voters I've talked with have mentioned, not just mm-hmm. you, but you're saying that she represents, she kind of embodies the traditional progressive, democratic, working class type perspective. I, I would say that. I mean, I you know, because I think I've mentioned this before, but the first speech that I ever gave on the floor of the House was a speech, it was not that significant, but it was a speech in favor of a bill extending First Amendment protections to student newspapers, to high school newspapers. You know, for me, I mean, that's what the Democratic Party is. It's free speech. It's, it's, you know, um, the right of individuals to kind of live their life the way they want to. but I don't see any of that anymore. But, but it's do, you gone. Re- do you really see it in the Republican Party? We, and here in Iowa, we just had a Republican Party that passed all sorts of mandates taking away the authority of local governments. Well, but I mean, I see taking away freedoms. I, you know, and I'm not. I'm not really. I'm still registered as a Democrat. I mean, I'm not advocating. I mean, I'm not at all happy with the Republican Party. Generally speaking, I mean, as an institution, I mean, I think that, you know, kind of Trumpism is a is a form of populism that is separate from that. It's not. So define define Trumpism for me, because I think of Trumpism, I think of um, I think of basically an an insane megalomaniac. Well, no, but you see, but this is the issue. You've got to separate it from him because I mean, I don't really. <laughs> my, you know, I mean, I saw him as, you know, the little Dutch boy with his finger in the dike. It wasn't that I particularly liked him. Um, you, just, you just didn't want the dike to break. I didn't want the dike to but, break. But, I mean, but I think, wasn't you know, Trump all about breaking the dike? But I, well, I don't think so, though. I mean, I think if you look at what he did, you know, he renegotiated NAFTA, and it's not in the way that, you know, I necessarily would have preferred it. It should have been more, yeah. Oh. Um, but, you know, I mean, I am a supporter of tariffs because I believe that the domestic economy is really the path to the middle class for mm-hmm. most people who are not college educated. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I support the border wall. I honestly, because look at this. If you look at it purely from a climate point of view, the average American produces 16 tons. Our, our carbon footprint is 16 tons a year. It's more per capita or, than any, any, any right, place in the world. That's right. And so if you add a million people, you're adding a million people at 16 tons a year. Well, except I mean, the, that's, you know, yeah, so the, it's, the, it's, the wealthy Americans have a higher footprint, carbon footprint, I know, than, you know, than, I actually, than the rest of us. I calculated mine, actually. It's about a third of the average is, is right. when I look at mine. But I mean, it's, it's but again, I mean, that's, and, and it's not that I'm opposed to immigration. It's, but I am, I am very much an advocate of, of assimilation. I don't believe that, that, so, you know. So, so, so let me get back to the, 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 the partisan element of this conversation. So the Democratic Party, uh, you, you say it's kind of abdicated its responsibility, its, 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 its historic role as the party of the working people. Yeah, you have the Democratic Party is the one that champions a higher minimum wage, uh, that champions you know, protections for workers. You have a Republican Party right now that wants to speed up the, the pace of, uh, of work on meatpacking plant lines. So, I mean, how is Well, it? and I'm not, you know, and again, I'm not, and, and again, I think it's all, um, things are evolving right now. You know, but I think that they always the, are. Yeah, well, they always are. And, you know, I mean, there are certainly, you know, I'm not saying that, that the Republican Party party has suddenly become the, you know, the advocate of the working class. What I'm more saying is that, you know, the working class responded to Trump because he was talking about things that concerned them. I mean, whether right. he did it, you know, as well as he might have. Fair enough. I mean, there was a void and... Trump filled that void with the right rhetoric, but has Trump or the Republican Party delivered on anything of value to working class people? I, I would say the tariffs were probably. Okay, I mean, the tariffs, know, I mean, yeah. I said that I'd say working on NAFTA was. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I'd and, say, and I agree with know, that, although yeah. I don't think it was a great fix. No, I didn't. No, it wasn't. I mean, it's, it's, I, I think Ross Perot was. Right, and when he characterized the great sucking sound, sucking yes. Sound. So, is, is there is there a? I mean, I, I, I guess I. It sounds like you're agreeing with me that the Republican Party isn't really uh, offering a other, other than NAFTA, other than the trade treaties, mm-hmm. isn't really offering a strong alternative. To well, the other Democrats. than, but the other thing I think that you know you you uh, you know need to consider. I mean, there are a lot of cultural issues. I mean, Trump. 
Trump increased from 16 to 20. Okay, let's see if I remember it. Um, black men, 5%. Black women, 4%. Hispanic men, 4%. You mean the, those who voted for him? The percentage him. of the vote. I mean, he, right. you know, he was, okay. and he, you know, he got. And those are mostly working class people. They're mostly working. I get working. that. But, and, but there's a cultural element to it, too. It's just like, because we talked about this. Go down to the, you know, go down to the laborers hall and start talking about gun control. You know, oh, I, I mean, know. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I, but I think, he, but I think he can connect with them on that level too. Right. And I think that's that populist strain, whether it's you know in the Republican Party or not, you know has has an opportunity anyway to connect with those working people in a way that, you know, the Democratic Party as it right. seems now to be constituted. So, so now, now, not. now that the Democratic Party has, uh, and maybe maybe would you agree that Bernie Sanders is also a working Persons type Democrat. I'm more more than you know more than a lot of the leadership. As yeah. I would say that's true. Yeah. So uh, yeah. now that now that the Democratic Party establishment has effectively defeated Sanders twice mm -hmm. and um, and sent uh, Tulsi Gabbard back to uh, back to Hawaii. Um, <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> um, I mean, they, they they really they led by Hillary Clinton really don't like her. Uh, is there is there any hope within the Democratic Party for a return to the mission that made the Democrats, the party of the people years ago? I don't think so. Really? Nope, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, here's what I think is killing our process is is interest group, sorry, interest group politics. And I think that, I don't think the Democratic Party at this point can separate it from that. Mm. It's, it's, you so, know. So, I mean, does the Republican Party any better in terms of interest groups? Kind of. I mean, I was listening really? to, I, w I was listening to um, somebody, they, they did a, um, a, poll i mean and i don't mean to get into race because i don't but it's they did a poll and they were basically polling people determining you know how much you know how much is your race an impact or a, i don't know just how much how much you think about it how, how right. important is it to you you know and and other than white it was all 50 percent plus you know white it was about 14 15 percent you know i don't think about being white i don't think about that at all you know but i think what's happened is that the interest i i think the democratic party's driven that i don't think you know 50 years ago you would have gotten that same result mm. i mean i just i think when you listen to martin luther king he wanted black americans to participate fully in the broader society he he, he so, certainly was not advocating so is, is it fair to say is it fair to say the democratic party has become more about identity politics and you think that's hurting it that's what i think and that's why i left i mean that's that mm. i'm still a registered a democrat but that's right you know at least intellectually that's why i left okay. that is but yeah. intellectually you have not yet found another home except maybe uh no supporting donald trump yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, not the Republican no, Party no, so much no, as Donald no, Trump. No, you know, and and I mean, I don't like libertarians. I should say I don't like them, but I, I really dislike Ayn Rand. I, I think taking any kind of moral element out of the political process is wrong. But well, Ayn Rand has a strong moral element. It's all about yourself. Yeah, you know, it's I don't know. She was like a like a, an atheist crusader. <laughs> hey, I got to run to a short break. Uh, Joel, stick with us. Uh, we're going to talk about the media when we come back from a short break. Uh, this is Joel Brown with me, Ed Fallon here on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Hey folks, welcome back to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon. My guest for this segment of the show is Joel Brown. 
want to take a quick second to thank a couple of our local business partners, including Architecture by Synthesis, where Mark Clipsham offers planning and design services for high-performance, low-maintenance homes and buildings. Mark specializes in environmentally friendly designs, including highly insulated structures made from green bins. That's Architecture by Synthesis. Thanks also to Groovy Goods, Des Moines' one-stop hippie shop where everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Groovy Goods calls itself a tribe brought together by, you're going to love this, peace, love, and rock and roll. Learn more at groovygoods.com or stop by at 23rd Street and University in Des Moines. Joel, welcome back to the program. Thanks. So, <laughs> again, Joel Brown, a former Democratic lawmaker, uh, uh, he got beat the year I got in, so we never actually had the pleasure of serving together. Uh, but he has since, um, again, uh, so, well, I guess I would say that you don't think you, your views have not changed in your opinion. It's the Democratic Party that's changed. And I can't argue with that. Yeah, I would say that that's I mean, I somewhat they've changed. I, I, but it, yeah, generally, I would say that that's that that's true. I mean, I, I'll give you one example that I think I've written about before. But my dad was a Marine. He fought in the South Pacific during World War Two. Um, he fought in Korea. His dad was a railroad man. You know, he flew a flag. He was also a lifelong Democrat. Those things were not inconsistent, you know, even a generation ago. I, it's almost, I was listening to some reporter the other day talking about how uncomfortable it made her to feel to see American flags displayed on trucks. I mean, it's not the same <laughs> world. We had a flag up in front of our house yeah. my entire we, we life. Had, we had one know. growing up as well. My dad had the 13 star uh, original flag. Oh, I have on, one of those. On certain days. Yeah. But he yeah. never flew the Confederate flag, which no. is a different story altogether. But hey, <laughs> back, uh, you know, we, we, I want to talk a bit about the media because uh, so much of what we believe and think and hear and understand, it comes from the media. And right now, I, I think we've got a media that is very polarized um, and also uh, very much interested in continuing that polarization. Uh, and I, and I, I would argue that that's the case on the uh, left of the media spectrum as well as the right. But the right has just gotten thicker. I mean, it was kind of, well, you've got, you've got talk radio is pretty much entirely mm -hmm. given over to the, 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 the radical right perspective. And then you've got Fox News. Now you've got, you know, um, One American Network. You've got, um, you've got uh, Newsmax. <laughs> how, how do you see the... Uh, do you see that? Do you see that polarization as well, or what, what's your take? I do. I mean, I don't. You know, I mean, to a large extent, we don't really have journalists anymore. In the in the sense of, you know, I might have my my biases, but I'm going to try to remain neutral when I report the news. Nobody's doing that. It's all. It's all. Uh, it's almost all opinion. It's it's there's the bias is overt and. They're fitting facts to a narrative, and I and I agree that it's happening on both sides. And that's what Brian Stelter with CNN uh, argues. He, his argument, and this, he's talked apparently very extensively with a lot of Fox News personalities, most of them off the record because they don't want their, you know, they're, they're protecting their jobs. Mm -hmm. But they argue that after Donald Trump lost, uh, morale was so low among viewers that they were bailing out to go to some of these other newer. Um, more extreme networks, and so Fox's response was to go even harder to the right, and part of that was less news, more opinion, you know, more more Tucker Carlson, more Sean Hannity, mm -hmm. <laughs> more opinion, and so is that healthy? I mean, well, know. I think I mean I think if you're talking about Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity, it's fine because they're not presenting themselves as as sure. I get that, you know, but I think that the problem I don't know. I mean, I I saw that happen. I think. You know, I think, though, that, you know, the issue on that is that Fox, prior to the election, was not as conservative as, as traditionally they had been. I mean, I think they've actually been moving more toward the center, and I think a lot of huh. the people that were watching— Maybe the center is moving in that case, because I don't see that. But, well, uh, I mean, I don't—I'm not talking yeah. about—I'm not talking about the opinion people. I'm talking right. about the actual people that are supposedly— Rupert Murdoch? I mean, he pretty much calls the shots at Fox. I don't know. His sons are not nearly as conservative as he is, and I think you've, you you mm. can see that. I mean, it's just like what calling Arizona. 
I mean, I, regardless of, of what was going on, calling Arizona before any other network, before the voting was cast. Just wanted, they wanted was, to jump the gun. Yeah, and it, was, <laughs> and it was against Trump. And so I think it was, you know, I think they're paying the yeah. penalty. Well, to me, to me, the problem is both that you've got, you've got a media uh, market where there are fewer and fewer, bigger and bigger corporations that own more and more. I, yeah, I agree. Whether it's, and it's the worst in radio, but it's, it's bad enough in TV. It's certainly bad in, in newspapers. But here's what I would say is, is that it's more about, rather than, rather than talking in terms of, you know, of, of issues as they affect average people, I, it's more about corporations. I mean, I want, would make the argument that we're, you know, at least in the process of becoming an oligarchy. Oh, I would agree. And I think it's, I think it's regardless of, you know, they, they're kind of playing around at the edges. But, and I think that's why people are leaving those, you know, the mainstream media on both sides, and they're going to kind of more, 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 well, you know, two sources that we and I know there's a national connection to both of these, but they're they're both very much locally f- focused here in Des Moines. One is Axios, and we know the two former Des Moines Register reporters that that uh, that are the are, are the mouthpiece for it. Uh, I, mean, I don't know if you're familiar with Axios, and the other is uh, Iowa Capital Dispatch, which is also part of a national network, but entirely operated by again mostly former Des Moines Register people, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is fascinating to me that. That uh, that folks who used to have a job with what is now a Gannett outlet, you know, right? Yeah, are finding a better home in these newer outlets that are also again they have that national connection, but they're totally focused on a local angle. And I think that's you know I I think that's a way you know for journalists to be journalists. Yeah. You know, I think at the national level, that's just not even allowed anymore. I yeah. mean, it's just because I, mean, I think we talked about this. I mean, I get my news. Basically, what I do is I follow people, and it's not just you know. Follow on, you, you on follow Twitter. the Fallon Forum. I do. Actually. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good response. But I, but I follow people on Twitter that I like and that I yeah. trust, and I just look at you know when they're posting links and things or hmm. recommendations, or they mention something, and I go look for it. And so, who are the people you trust on Twitter? Um, oh, I don't know. I like. Um, Tulsi yeah, Gabbard. Not gonna think. I follow Tulsi Gabbard. Okay. Yeah. Um, Tucker Carlson. No, I don't Good. actually. No, 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 no. no though I like. I don't know if you ever heard of Andrew Clavin. Andrew Clavin. 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 No. He's kind of interesting. He's with um. Oh, what the hell? Then it's um. Ben Shapiro's. Oh, Ben Shapiro. Okay, group. right. But it's not not but a fan. But yeah. No, no. Well, yeah. it's I don't follow Ben Shapiro, but Andrew okay. Clavin so, is kind of a. He's a. He's kind of interesting. But, but, bottom line, but, but but you're you're kind of an exception there. I mean. The the following for Fox News is huge, and the and there's a growing following for, you know, for OAN and uh, and Newsmax, and you know CNN, CBS, NBC, all these all these big you know corporate networks have a huge following. You know, you know what though? I don't think that's the problem. Okay, I, because I think they're all in rapid decline. I think mainstream media is in rapid decline. Yeah. Because so of what's going to fill the void? The internet. Well, it's Facebook and it's Twitter and there's a, in my opinion, a clear bias there. I mean, they they banned the Washington Post, which is one of the oldest newspapers in the country, for two weeks prior to the election for an article which has turned out to be true. Who banned them? Twitter and Twitter. Facebook both, okay. I think. Um, do they apologize? No, no. Pay, in pay fact, damages? in fact, I think Jack Dorsey is really creepy, and I, it's, it's, I watched him say, "Oh well, you know, if they jump through these hoops, we'll reinstate their account." So they've got to log in and they've got to delete the tweet. We did it by accident. We shouldn't have deleted it, but they've got to log in, delete the tweet, and then ask us to reinstate this. Come groveling on their basically on, that their, was, on their cyber knees. But that's. Yeah. But I think you know. I mean, I think that's what we have is the equivalent of the telephone company jumping into a conversation. And saying, "Oh, you can't say that; it's not true." You know, That'd they can either be a platform or they can be a publisher. For those in the audience who still remember party lines, that would be an interesting party line. <laughs> Excuse yeah, me, Mister and Mrs. True. Jones and Smith, you cannot have that conversation but, right now. We're going to disconnect you. <laughs> but that's basically what they're doing when they're, you know, censoring mm. tweets and 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 posts yeah. for political. Well, and that's reasons. that's something I mean, Tulsi Gabbard has been really vocal on is is not limiting free speech. But again. I mean, a lot of people feel that Donald Trump abused the, uh, the, the privilege of using a service such as Twitter and that his being banished from there 
was appropriate. But from a legal point of view, that's like saying he's abused the privilege of using the phone service. I mean, really, because it's that's they are they cannot be sued. No, because, because they're you, not considered a public. When you make so a phone call, you're talking to one other person. When you post a no, tweet and you're the president, you have a huge influence. No, it's true, but their legal status is the same as the phone company. Well, then something needs to change, and that is something they should be. Because when you can tweet yeah. time after time that the election was stolen and have yeah. people believe it, and then come down to the U.S. Capitol and try to incite a riot, you've got a problem. That's that's a lot more serious than a phone call. Yeah, I mean, you know, but I mean, I've also seen tweets from the head of, you know, the, the leader of Iran talking about a new holocaust, you know, and they haven't banned that. Well, you know, so it's, it's, I mean. Oh, Twitter hasn't banned that. Twitter has not banned that. No, they, yeah, so they can ban Trump for saying stupid things. Okay. Because that fits. But anyway, I mean, well, I'm I, gonna I'm gonna ban you, Joe. I would like, to, <laughs> I just. But what I would really like with those platforms is that you know re- repeal the provision that says you know you're immune. Okay. To litigation, folks. We've been talking with Joel Brown, a friend of mine, neighbor, former Democratic lawmaker, uh, gone over to the dark side, as I like to tease him. Not really, but um, but we have uh, we have invigorating conversations, and I think more of us need to have those conversations. We're also going to be talking when we come back about an issue I know Joel is interested in. Gardening. Uh, Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farm is going to join us. We're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to take questions about the garden in June and try to come up with some answers. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week, with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Again, Ed Fallon with you here, folks. Thanks to our local business partners, nonprofits, monthly supporters, everyone who helps make this program possible, including our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store. Had breakfast there this morning. Also, uh, you can now order your groceries online, and their team will bring them to you curbside. They've also got a great floral service, or the catering service. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. I would like to now welcome to the program Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farm. It's time for our monthly garden Q&A session. Kathy, take it away. As we do once a month, we try to answer some questions. Well, we do answer some questions that people ask us. We have brilliant answers. We do. That's why people keep coming (laughs) back to watch this again and again. It's June, so a lot of gardens are really going strong. And uh, it didn't take long to find some of the most common questions on some of the Facebook forums. So first of all, the thing that's cool to me is that so many people prefaced their question with, hey, first time gardener here. What's cool about that, Ed? Well, that so many more people are getting involved with growing their own food, enhancing local food security. Mm-hmm. You know, because as one of my guests said today, after, our, after we recorded the program, you know, you can't just like, you can't decide you're hungry. Uh, the, uh, the organic nutrient can't have hit the fan and suddenly you're hungry and you want to grow a garden. No, you've got to prepare. Apple trees, for example, eight years. <laughs> so yeah, it's good to see people doing it now. <laughs> it really is. Here's one of the questions that someone asked. My black raspberries are fruiting except for the cane. And she picked a cane that's circled, you know, that um, on her picture. It was bare. So, did the cane flower last? Did the cane flower last year, and should have been cut back? Should I cut back my raspberries in the fall or early spring? And I looked at the picture, and it looked like she had, um, had a nice raspberry crop, except for that one cane that was last year's cane. It wasn't last year's cane for sure. Um, well, I haven't seen the picture, so I'm just guessing. I didn't zoom in on the picture, but the question is, when should they cut their raspberries back? So, uh, not had great luck with raspberries. Um, not the best person to ask. I know that we've we've struggled with uh, crumbly berry disorder. Mm-hmm. Ac- great acronym, CBD. No, no relation. But um, it's. Uh, I would assume that you want to cut them back in the fall. I I agree because that's 
that's what the experts say. I'll take raspberry for 200, please. <laughs> well, in the fall, after your plant is really done done doing doing its thing. So well, it's starting to put its energy into its root production. Right. Or root, uh, yeah, root, roots to maintain it through the winter. There we go. Right, right. Yeah. And um, sometimes it's hard to cut them as much as they really need to be cut. But once spring comes and they start to grow out, you're like, oh, I should have cut more back. So when we prune our blackberries, we go crazy on that. We do. I mean, the amount of foliage left is astounding to blackberries all over the world. <laughs> Here's another question. At what point would you stop watering your garlic? Now, in Iowa. <laughs> I haven't really focused on watering because I know it needs to dry out. Um, so, yes, now. Yeah, we've, we've been watering everything but the garlic. And it's, um, scapes are gone. And we have what? Uh, the leaves are starting to turn brown, and I guess we usually wait for three fifths of the leaves to be brown, mm -hmm. and then we harvest. And we're talking no about water. a hardneck variety. Yes, hardneck, right. This is the hardneck. Which is the best for this northern clime. So. It is, it is. And um, we had p questions in the spring about is it time to plant garlic? And we said, no, it was time to plant garlic last fall or early <laughs> winter. Someone's asking, I have a first year basil plant with leaves big enough to harvest. I want the plant to keep growing larger. So my question is, should I harvest it regularly or let it go a bit? Kind of a bit of both. Um, you, you let it get as big as you think it's going to get before it starts to blossom. Yes, that's the important part. And yeah. then don't cut it all the way down. No, we like to trim it, what, about two inches above the ground. So there's still a couple notes there, and those notes will reproduce more, more foliage. Mm -hmm. They yeah. don't want to take all the leaves away because it won't be able to photosynthesize. Yeah. So... Um, basil keeps coming back if you take care of it, and um, it's very cold sensitive, so you want to get all you can out of it before it goes blech in the first <laughs> that, frost. That is, that is basil talk. Blech is basil talk for... Uh, uh, wither. Uh, wither, okay. Wither and <laughs> I don't speak basil. Here's, here's the, <laughs> another one that I love to see. Hi, all. This is my first year gardening in Iowa. So far, so good. I started zucchini in an indoor greenhouse and transplanted them outside in a small raised bed, and they've taken off beautifully. I realize now they need more room. I'm digging up uh, the ground today and wanted to ask if there's any harm in transplanting vegetables that have a stable root system. I'd say yes. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. No. And, you know, and zucchini, I mean, yeah, I'm not surprised. It's, I mean, it really, zucchini plant really wants about half of a county to grow properly. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, it gets huge. You know? Well, yeah, I think the best bet there is just pick your strongest two plants and, and take the rest out. Um, yeah. Because you'll get better harvest out of fewer plants in this case than overcrowded zucchini that's getting a lot of rot inside you, where there's no breathing space. You, you have two tricks with uh, zucchini and squash that I think are very effective. One, one involving tinfoil, one involving, involving squishing things. <laughs> I did go through uh, both our squash and our um, zucchini, which is a summer squash, and I wrapped the base of every vine with tin foil, just buried a little bit below the ground, and then I put the ground back around, and that helps keep the vine borers out. And then uh, start to check regularly for squash bugs, and you'll see their eggs first. They're kind of copper-colored. They'll be on the backs of the leaves. They make a great omelet. No, don't. No, they're t <laughs> the size of a pinhead. And you scrape those, a lot of them. <laughs> scrape those off and squish them. And um, our, I realized, Ed, our squash is going to be tough to check every leaf every other day or so like I'm used to because it's up by the beehive. Yeah. So I'm not sure what we're going to do about that. <laughs> one more question. This is my first year growing broccoli. This one is not salvageable, right? She's got a picture of broccoli that's got flowers starting to come out of it. Am mm. I supposed to harvest before the yellow flowers open? Yep. <laughs> yes, because yeah. then it's not... It's not broccoli for no. you, and you can eat it. It won't hurt you, but it, it's it's not going to be. You no, know, we we call broccoli. all these different things vegetables. But vegetable is really a worthless word, and because with broccoli, what you're eating is the bud, the pre-flower, the bud, artichoke, the bud, you know, lettuce, mm -hmm. the leaf, tomato, the tuber. Corn, you just really know your plant parts, don't I, you? I, yeah, <laughs> I do. I know them better than body parts. I think. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think. Um, Getting that into your head that yes, you're not gonna you're going to eat the bud, the pre-flower mm -hmm. moment of the broccoli's life. Yeah. 
and I underestimated how many questions well, I, we're going to have. I remember seeing one more that, that yeah. interests me. Um, someone who was saying, you know, with a drought upon us here in Iowa, I don't feel, they, they were saying that they didn't feel they had the right to continue to water uh, their hobby garden. And I said, well, my, my response is, well, if it is a hobby garden, if it is just purely for uh, your enjoyment, and then, yeah, maybe you don't. I mean, I, I appreciate the sentiment. We need to be thinking really seriously about water usage right now and water mm -hmm. conservation more generally. But um, if it's your food source, if that's what you rely on as part of your diet, part of your family's food, yeah, water it. But water it judiciously. You know, ideally a soaker hose, which really we really can't make them work in our place. We have too many nooks raised and crannies beds. and corners and mm -hmm. raised beds. But a soaker hose or at least watering uh, gently in the evening or in the morning. And I will admit that I am inclined to spoil my plants and want to give them more water. Uh, if you give them, you know, water less often, depends on the plant, of course, but tomatoes, for example, they'll really dig deep. Mm -hmm. They'll put those roots down mm -hmm. and, and draw water from deeper in the soil. So, yeah, um, don't, yeah, I, it's a great question. I'm, I'm going to feed off of that question, okay. too. I'm thinking if you're growing your own food here and you're um, taking away from the amount of food that has to be trucked from oh, other yeah. areas thousands of miles away, it, a, a little water usage right here directly um, is, a, is better for the planet than all yeah. that um, carbon uh, emission and fossil fuel use that it takes to truck your food. I would rather give up showers than give up watering my garden. We'll Kathy, talk. Kathy we'll would talk. rather live with somebody we'll else. Talk. You know, well, sh sh you can take short showers. Okay, I've been short taking showers. short. I, when I was on the was that, when I was time. on the Great March for Climate Action, we did a quote shower with yep. one quart of water. Yep. That was it, one quart of water when we were crossing the desert. Kathy, thanks so much for joining us. Um, thanks, folks, for being a part of the Fallon Forum today. Uh, thanks to our guests, uh, Argos uh, Maranoctis, Joel Brown, and Kathy Burns. Thanks also to our business partners, uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Westrom Optometry, and Groovy Goods. Also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Thanks also to our production squad of Kathy Burns and Sherry Herdina, and to our rest of our team, Forrest Detterman and Charles Goldman. Um, thanks again to uh, you for tuning into this week's program. Please support what we're doing. Check out our Facebook page, you know, download our podcast and go to the Fallon Forum website for more information. Again, thank you for being a part of an alternative response to the shock jocks on right-wing radio. This is Ed Fallon, your host. <laughs>